It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. This is Forward Thinking. I'm Isabella Melking. How do our close relationships affect our health and well-being? What makes a good relationship? Here to explain is Dr. Sarah Stanton, a psychology lecturer and relationship lab director at the University of Edinburgh. Her research at HeartLab explores the cognitive, so relating to the mental process of developing knowledge and understanding, and the affective aspects, so relating to moods, feelings and attitudes of close relationships. She is particularly interested in how promoting positive relationship experiences benefit close others immediately and over time. Hi Sarah, welcome to the Forward Thinking Podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Thank you for joining me. So how did you end up as a relationship researcher? It's a bit of a convoluted story. So I originally went to my undergrad for theater, but I went in knowing that I would want to double major in something. I've got plenty of psychologists in my family. My dad is a professor at the University of Delaware. My mom had a psychology degree before she went into law and now she saves the environment for a living. Anyway, so I knew I wanted to double major and I figured I would want to do psychology because I find people fascinating and I like understanding how they work and how they don't. (laughs) So I went in for theater originally, realized very quickly that I didn't want to pursue a career in theater. And so then I focused a little bit more on the psychology aspect of my life. And it was a research methods course of all things that got me like really excited about figuring people out. As I started to really get into psychology, I thought for a while that I wanted to be a therapist, like I wanted to pursue clinical psychology because I was the type of person, and maybe you are as well, where your friends will come to you for advice about life stuff. And so for some reason, people always came to me to ask for advice. So I thought to myself, oh, I'd be a really great therapist. And then I took a couple of clinical psychology classes and realized I would make a terrible therapist, but maybe I can do research that might help them eventually or inform what they do. So I was then looking for some research experience and I essentially just went down the list of faculty at Northwestern University, which is where I did my undergrad. And Eli Finkel studies love and relationships. And I remember thinking, how do you even, (laughs) how can you even study and quantify love and relationships? So I joined his lab as a research assistant, ended up doing my honors dissertation there. I kind of just fell in love with relationships research. And then the rest is kind of history. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And do you get to tie in your research with your teaching at all? Yeah, definitely. So I teach a fourth year course on intimate relationships, although I think next year it's becoming a third and fourth year course. So I teach an upper year course on intimate relationships, which is a lot of fun. For any of you thinking of taking it, there's an entire lecture devoted to sex. You're welcome in advance. (laughs) Um, So I teach it at upper level for undergraduates. I eventually will teach it at the master's level as well, Mm -hmm. probably starting next year. And basically when I teach any kind of social psychological thing, the easiest examples for me to draw on are always from relationship science. And I also find that those are the most interesting for students. So I tie it into everything. It's kind of impossible for me to separate myself from it. Yeah, but definitely I tie it in whenever I can, even if it's completely shoehorned. From your research, 
Could you tell us a bit about the characteristics of a good relationship, kind of in contrast with a bad relationship? Oh, sure. So one of the most important predictors of relationship success, and this is going to probably sound very obvious to people, but it's also the kind of thing I don't think we really think about enough unless you study it, and then we think about it all the time. But one of the, one of the best predictors of a strong, healthy relationship is something called positive illusions, which is kind of your tendency to view your partner as slightly more awesome than they actually are. Mm -hmm. You still have to be accurate. So it's like, if you think your partner's Channing Tatum, mm -hmm. that's a little, that's a little much because like they probably aren't unless your partner is Channing Tatum, <laughs> in which case, please do my relationship studies. I'm really very curious to know how that's going. Um, if, if like your partner is actually like a seven, but you see them as an eight or a nine, that's actually the strongest predictor of whether you guys are going to make it. And it has to go both ways, right? But if you, if you think your partner is less awesome than they are, that's a very, very quick way to get to break up town. So another thing that's super important for having a good relationship is how you manage conflict because conflict is unavoidable. You and your partner will not always have perfectly compatible goals. And so conflict itself is not bad. There is a conception in society that like a perfect couple never fights. That's completely unrealistic and also just a dysfunctional relationship belief. You will fight. It's okay. It's how you fight that matters. So in a bad relationship, when partners fight, they're very hostile towards each other. They disconnect from each other. It's called stonewalling where they essentially just shut down. They criticize each other, but conflict is really an opportunity for you and your partner to get on the same page about what you need and to problem solve as a team, which will actually strengthen your relationship. So if you approach conflict by calmly and positively articulating what your concerns are and your partner responds in kind, then you actually end up much stronger because the change will happen and you'll be happier. And also, you'll have made it through together. So manage conflict positively. There's a paper on my website you can read if you want. Okay. <laughs> Other stuff that's really important, commitment. Mm -hmm. You have to be committed to the relationship if you want it to last. The exception being that you don't want to commit yourself to a bad relationship. So if there are other aspects of the relationship that aren't fulfilling or make you feel bad about yourself, if you're highly committed, you're more likely to stay in them, but that's not going to be good for you. Mm -hmm. So commitment's really big. And then another aspect that's really big that is very relevant to me because it's one of the primary things that I study is something called partner responsiveness, which is basically the extent to which we believe that our romantic partner cares about us, understands who we are as a person, and validates and appreciates our thoughts and feelings. Basically that our partner loves us warts and all. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And that is an extremely important predictor of all kinds of other relationship processes like social support involves responsiveness, commitment involves responsiveness, positive illusions involve responsiveness, it's huge. It also is one of the relationship processes that has the most or the heaviest downstream effects on health and well-being over time. Okay. I, this paper isn't quite published yet, I'm revising it this weekend, cross your fingers for me. But I, I have analyzed data that suggests that I can reliably predict whether you will be dead in 20 years based on how responsive your partner is right now. 
Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's because perceiving our partner to be more responsive and having that responsiveness increase over time is associated with us being able to handle stress better. And because we handle stress better, we're less likely to die. Okay. Good times, right? Yeah, we look forward to kind of seeing that publication. <laughs> oh, we me can too. link to it on the blog. There's plenty of other already published responsiveness and health stuff for anybody who's who's interested. But it basically affects everything. It affects mental health, physical health, sleep, all the things. And so now we're living in an era with lots of technology. <laughs> And, you know, sometimes when we're chatting with our friends or partners, phones, tablets, laptops, they can kind of be a bit of a distraction. Okay. <laughs> so how has this development impacted on our personal relationships? Oh, gosh, in a ton of different ways. I can talk about some of the good stuff and some of the bad stuff. Mm -hmm. The good stuff is that now technology makes it easier for us to stay in contact with our partners, mm -hmm. tell them that we're thinking about them throughout the day, makes it easier to do long distance if you have to do long distance. And there are even some apps now that help you keep track of how your relationship is going. Oh. So if you're interested, there's an app called StayGo that was created by some relationship researchers, some experts in the field. And they just ask you questions every day and you can kind of track the health of your relationship over time. And then every once in a while, they'll give you a little diagnostic. It's like, seems like you're miserable. Uh, you should probably think about getting out. Mm -hmm. It won't tell you what to do, but it'll say, it looks like you're kind of on the fritz based on how your satisfaction has been plummeting in the last okay. however, however much time. So that's kind of cool that we can uh -huh. learn about our relationships, but also it's a way we can use technology to help maintain our relationships, which is really nice. And then, of course, like the advent of apps for dating or websites for dating make it easier to meet people for those of us who like don't go to bars mm -hmm. <laughs> but at the same time there's this idea that either has been coined or i think one of my colleagues is coining it i'm not sure yet she hasn't published this research stay tuned on technoference is what mm -hmm. she calls it which is basically how technology gets in the way of us enjoying our relationships and having meaningful interactions with people so I'm sure you all can relate, or maybe you are one of these people, that when you go to dinner with someone, your phone's on the table, or their phone is on the table, and you just spend the entire dinner noticing that, like, mid-sentence, they always look at their phone, mm. or they check their phone in between every sentence, and you're just sitting there like, I would enjoy having <laughs> a legit conversation with you over our delicious meal, but I guess we're just gonna, I guess we're just gonna be on our phones. Mm. So it's a good, right? I think, I mean, there's research suggesting that People are a bit more disconnected now from their relationships than they used to be. And there are lots of comics and memes on the internet about how we're so glued to our phones that we ignore stuff happening around us. But there actually is a little bit of research to suggest that that is happening. Mm. But stay tuned for my friend's stuff. She's trying to figure out how it operates in couples over time, whether it predicts like breakup and goal pursuit and all kinds of stuff that's relevant for you living a happy life. Um, <laughs> So, so yeah, we'll see. I think technology also makes certain relationship processes a little more callous. It's easier, or it's not easier, but it is possible to dump someone over a text or an SMS message or whatever, right? To me, there's a surprising number of people who do that. Like upwards of 10% or more of people say like, yeah, I would do it. I'd dump my partner over a text message, which just seems so bizarre to me. Yeah. Because if those same people answer questions about whether they would like it if someone did that to them, as you would expect, 
it would be terrible and they would be miserable, but they still say that they would do it. I guess because like it's easier than dealing with emotions face to face for some people. Yeah. Oh, there's <laughs> there's a really interesting paper on how smartphones and how technology helps us keep the back burner warm. So being able to like stay in contact with ex-partners or attractive alternatives, which in the relationship literature is sometimes referred to as an interloper, which I just think is hilarious. But we can kind of keep alternative relationships waiting in the wings with technology in a way that we couldn't really before. So approaching Valentine's Day, what's the best relationship <laughs> advice that you can give us, Sarah? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Valentine's Day is an interesting one. I guess if you're into it, then use it as an opportunity to do something really nice with your partner. If you're not into it, that's totally fine. There's perceived pressure that Valentine's Day should be about like being together. And if you're single on Valentine's Day, it's, you know, everything's on fire. Not really. I, it depends on the kind of person you are, right? But if you're single and you're happy being single, have a romantic night for yourself. Sit in, binge watch something on Netflix. I'm going through Brooklyn Nine-Nine right now and it's hilarious. Binge watch some Netflix, drink some wine, eat some chocolate, hang out with your pets if you've got pets. That's great. But if you are the romantic type and you've got someone or you're thinking about pursuing someone, go for it. Direct is best. Don't play any games. People like it if you just go up to them and say, hey, I find you really attractive. Can I buy you a drink? Or do you want to make out? Yeah. yeah. I never know just... how to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, sir. It's been a really interesting chat with you oh, here today. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. If you want to know more about relationship research, follow the links on the Forward Thinking blog at forwardthinking.ppls.ed.ac.uk. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes for more research news and views from philosophy, psychology and language sciences here at the University of Edinburgh. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yeah.